0: Welcome to the Impact 360 Institute podcast, where our goal is to explore biblical worldview and servant leadership to equip you for everyday influence. Here's your host, author and director of cultural engagement, Jonathan Morrow.
1: Do you ever get nervous to talk about your faith with friends or family members? Does the thought of talking about different views on morality or sexuality or religion or even the Bible make you nervous? Well, you are not alone, and that's why I'm really excited about the podcast we have for you today, and I want to welcome you to the Impact 360 podcast, where today my guest is going to be Greg Kokel, and we've had him on the show before talking about uh, the true story of reality, the fabulous uh, book and resource there. But a little bit about Greg is Greg holds MA degrees in both apologetics and philosophy. He's spoken on more than 80 universities, campuses, and hosted his own radio talk show for over 30 years defending Christianity worth thinking about, and Greg is the founder and president of Stand to Reason, which is a fabulous organization, and serves as adjunct professor of Christian apologetics at Biola University, so a colleague there. So, Greg, it's great to have you on the podcast again.
0: Well, Jonathan, it's great to chat with you again, and this is the first time we've talked since we were together in Israel just a couple of months ago.
1: Absolutely. And that was just an amazing time to see those things come alive and get to have conversations about some of these kind of things over there, which was, which was pretty amazing. Yeah, And so really glad to have you on the podcast here. And as I've shared before, just really grateful for your work, um, your ministry, your investment in so many people's lives. You know, when I think about this book, Tactics... It's easily in my top 10 books that every Christian should read, and now you've released a completely updated version, which we'll talk more about in a minute, and it's so helpful. That's why I'm really glad to have you on the podcast talking about this. But let's just kind of start at the beginning for people. Why did you write this book, and, and why this new edition now?
0: Well, you know, there's a difficulty that Christians have with witnessing, sharing their faith, and the difficulty is with witnessing, sharing their faith. You know, we all know we got to do it. We're supposed to do it. We should want to do it, but it can get kind of scary out there, especially as the culture kind of heats up against our views and people get a little more hostile and the challenges get more sophisticated, and we start thinking, man, maybe I don't know enough to meet the challenges or answer the questions that people ask, and gee I'm not very good at leading people to Christ. It makes me nervous to encourage them to receive Jesus you know and to try to close the deal and all of these things mount up in people's minds. Jonathan and by the way, not just the young Christian or the immature Christian or the uneducated christian this is uh This is true for all of us. I feel that all the time, so I understand the the kind of concerns or the angst people might feel. When that happens, by the way, people just sit on the bench. They don't get into play. And, and so at 46 years as a Christian and in active Christian work and, and talking to people all over the planet, really, about Jesus, I've, I've stumbled upon some techniques or some, some ways of going about engaging a conversation that simplify things immensely that allow people, Christians, to navigate conversations, even if they don't have a lot of knowledge, sophistication, apologetics, or theology, or philosophy. Even if the audience or the individual they're talking to is is hostile, I found some ways of of kind of stepping through a conversation, following a little plan, I call it a game plan, and um, using a very particular way of engagement and I'll just show my hand just a little bit, it's using questions, using questions in a very intentional way to do a very modest thing, not lead someone to Christ. I'm not thinking about leading a person to Christ when I start talking to the person. I have no idea where they're at in their journey, okay? So I'm not thinking about harvesting. I'm thinking about gardening. Jesus said in John chapter 4 that the proverb is true that one sows and one reaps, one gardens, and one harvests. And so what I have focused on for my life, really, for my just as my Christian life, not just my professional life, but they're kind of blended together, is I realize I'm a gardener, and I've found some ways to garden, make a little difference here and a little bit difference there, get people thinking about our view. I'm not worrying about the harvest. I figure God will take care of the harvest, and so I have got some tools now that allow me, with the tactical game plan, to get in, even in the shallow end of the pool, so to speak, and Ease into conversations in a very friendly way, but in a way that has 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 shown itself to have a tremendous impact in and effectiveness in people's lives. So that's the reason that I wrote the book. I wanted to make these these ideas, this game plan, and some maneuvers. I guess, for lack of a better word available in a very accessible way with a lot of anecdotes. In other words, a lot of accounts of me in real-life situations with people on airplanes and waitresses in restaurants and the university talks or university students are coming after me during the Q&A after the lecture. I have all of these illustrations in there every step of the way so people can see how this all plays out. So that's the original That's the original book I wrote 10 years ago, Tactics. In the last 10 years, though, Jonathan, um, just like you, you know, and other people doing the things we do, if we've been doing it for a long time, hopefully we're finding better ways to communicate the same things we communicated 10 years ago, you know. And I did, over the last 10 years, I found lots of ways to explain my view, to teach, to instruct, to expand on some of these concepts that are much better than the way I explained them 10 years ago. Plus, I have a whole bunch more tactical maneuvers that I didn't have at my disposal 10 years ago that I've included in this book. So if there are some of your listeners that have purchased the first tactics and benefited from it, They need to get the second tactics because there's fifty percent more information in it and there's almost twice as many tactics and the things I explained in the past, I think I do a better job at explaining now. If a person has never gotten the book before, boy, this this is the one to get. I I I mean I I know may sound like I'm waving my own flag here, but you mentioned it's in your top ten books. I've had so many other apologists or talk show hosts or Christian leaders say the same thing, you know, or they'd say it's in their top three books, or they say it's their number one book that they recommend to everyone. David Wood just delivered a video to his 400,000 subscribers just a week or so ago, and said, this is the only book I recommend for everyone. So I'm really flattered at that mm. response, and I think that this book is going to make a massive difference in the life of any Christian Christian or Christian leader or parent who is listening in to help them engage more effectively and who help them train uh, their children or the people in their youth group or whatever to engage more effectively.
1: Absolutely. And I can completely and heartily endorse all of what you just said. You know, what's fun is, you know, here at Impact 360, we get to train the next generation. We get to work with high school students during the summer whether that's Propel or Immersion mm-hmm. or our nine-month gap year and fellows, and we teach them these tactics, these this game plan. And when we go have spiritual conversations at Georgia Tech, we engage our friends, our, our Muslim friends and neighbors. We go take our fellows to Salt Lake City, Utah, and get in conversations with our Mormon friends, and we use right. this as a way— of navigating those conversations, and this is what we use to train them here at Impact 360. So without further ado, let's talk about what is kind of the first steps of this game plan that you talk about in in terms of how to kind of take some of the pressure off by approaching these conversations.
0: Yeah. When I talk about tactics, there's a lot of tactics that we have in the book, and they have different names that are kind of fun. Tactics like taking the roof off or just the facts, ma'am, or Rhodes Scholar, or Inside Out, or What a Friend We Have in Jesus. You know, they have all these names. But there is one tactic, Jonathan, that is the core of the game plan. Okay, so the game plan is this one tactic. That's central, and the other tactics are meant to help out. And so that's why I spend about a third of the book explaining the game plan. This tactic is the easiest tactic imaginable to stop a challenger in their tracks, to put the Christian in the driver's seat of the conversation. And that's where you want to be. It doesn't mean you're doing all the talking. In fact, you're doing uh, a small amount. The other person's doing most of the talking, but the Christian is still able to direct the conversation using this tactic. And I call him Miss Colombo because he's Miss Lieutenant from the TV series now about four decades ago, but even though it's been a long time since the show's been out, people still remember lieutenant colombo because he's the guy who shows up on the crime scene with a a old rumpled trench coat and a stub of a cigar in his hand and uh he's he's you know he's scratching his head muttering to himself and um, this guy doesn't look like he can think his way out of a wet paper bag right i mean he's stupid but he's stupid like a fox because he's got a plan and at some point he's going to Put his fingers to furrowed brow and scratch his head like he's deep in in thought. And then he's going to do his trademark move. And he's going to say something like, you know, there's something about this thing that bothers me. Do you mind if I ask you a question? And there it is. And after he gets the first question, of course, then he asks another and another and another. and, And because using questions allowed Lieutenant Columbo, of course, to maneuver safely through conversations without presuming anything, without seeming scary, without scaring the bad guy off, you know, in that circumstance, and coming in under the radar, but very effectively gathering whatever information he needed to figure out what was going on. And then when he wanted to really hone in on who he thought was the guilty party, he still used questions. So that's the game plan. We are going to initiate into spiritual aspects of a conversation and maybe even initiate whole conversations and maneuver in conversations, even with belligerent people. And we're going to do that very easily and very safely by asking questions a very particular set of questions that will allow us to move forward in the conversation. And I know some people think, gee, I don't, I don't know what Cochle and Moral know. I didn't take these courses. I don't have degrees in philosophy. I don't read apologetics, you know. What about little old me? So I make a promise at the beginning of the book, Jonathan, and it's a promise I make to every audience that I speak on this issue, too. And the promise is this. I tell them, I promise, I am going to give you in the next, what, 45 minutes when I'm giving that kind of a talk, I'm going to give you a game plan that will allow you to converse with confidence in any situation, no matter how little you know or how knowledgeable or aggressive or even obnoxious the other person happens to be.
1: And that's amazing, because, I mean, it's, it works, you know, and so helpful. So let's do this. What are the first yes, questions? But it's
0: amazing how it's able to allow even a novice to, a new Christian or, or somebody who's been around for a while but hasn't done this kind of thing very much, to get off the bench and to engage a little bit in a very safe manner and make a difference for the sake of the gospel.
1: Absolutely. And that's really, really helpful. And one of the things that I want to do is give people practical kind of encouragement here. So maybe talk about a scenario, maybe a real conversation that you've had, and, and introduce people to some of these questions that you're talking about.
0: Sure. Here's the basic uh, first step, all right? I mentioned there are three steps in the game plan. And so what I encourage people to do when they start engaging on a particular issue not to worry about winning that person to Christ, all right? Just completely put that out of your mind, because that's just going to confuse you. That's going to get you worrying about the end of the game, and you haven't even started the game, you know? In a big football game, you know, Super Bowl, when they get out on the field, they're not thinking about what's going to happen and when the clock ticks out. They're thinking about doing the play right in front of them really well, and that's all I want people to think about. And so the very first step in the game plan is simply to gather information so when I am you know talking to a waitress or something like that or somebody sitting next to me on an airplane or whatever and we're moving towards something that might be a spiritual conversation I'm thinking of one in Seattle right now who um, you know who is kind of a new-age waitress and very bubbly and very happy and everything and I just began asking her questions about her view she said, well, the universe takes care of me. Now, that's, I don't know about you, but that strikes me as an odd statement, because the universe is not a person to take care of you. So I asked her, I said, I didn't tell her it was odd. I, I don't want to put her down. But I, I said, what do you mean by that? What do you mean it, the universe takes care of you? Now, notice this first question. I'm gathering information. That's all I'm doing. I'm not taking exception. I'm not preaching. I'm just trying to understand and the question I used is, what do you mean by that? And she said, well, you know, the universe is, uh, you know, taking care of She repeated again. I said, wait a minute, you son- it makes it sound like uh, the universe is a person. Is that what you think? She said, well, what I mean is God takes care of me. Oh, okay, so it's God and not the universe. Well, the universe is God. Really? Well, I'm not sure I understand that. Help me out. Tell me a little bit more. Now, notice, this was an actual conversation I had. And notice that the entire time, all I'm trying to do is get clear on her view. That's it. I'm just trying to understand her. She doesn't know much about my convictions. Actually, I told her that I was going to be teaching at a church later that morning. It was a Sunday morning. And I was eating breakfast at the hotel. And and she's, okay, great. Well, she starts talking about spiritual things, but then making these confusing statements, all I'm doing is asking for more information with some variation of the question, what do you mean by that? That's our first step. That's our first question. What do you mean by that? Notice what happened, though. When I asked her what she meant, she got all confused. Why would she get confused? Because her view is a confused view. And every time I asked her another question, she got confused again. I'm not confusing her. I'm just asking what she means. But you know what's happened is this young lady, sweet woman, had never really thought about her own view. And in fact, after a little while, she left and went on to fill somebody else's coffee, and she came back to the table. And I thought I had absolutely no impact on her at all. I honestly thought that, and I was in no mood to talk about Christianity. I was there, you know, before my first cup of coffee, I'm an atheist, right? So I'm sitting there (laughs) trying to wake up, and she comes back to me later, and she said, You know what? Nobody has ever asked me questions like that before, and it's really got me thinking. Hmm. There you go. So I'm just asking for clarification, but the Holy Spirit is using the process of just those simple questions to start unsettle her a little bit. And I was able to talk a little bit more. Actually, what I told her, I said, if we had more, more time, I'd ask you a lot more questions, and you'd have a lot more to think about okay? Oh, in that case, I was able to leave her a copy of the story of reality. I had it in my my bag there, and she was really happy about that. But what I want your listeners to understand here is here's a very normal situation. It's just a guy, me, who does not want to talk about Jesus at 7.30 in the morning, okay? I'm just being authentic with you here. I want to drink my coffee, eat my breakfast, and go teach at the church, but here's this bubbly gal that wants to chat with me. So, all right. So then she says this thing. I said, well, I could not pass this up. What do you mean? Okay, what do you mean by that? Well, wait, I'm confused. What do you mean by that? And I genu- genuinely was confused. But what had I done? I'd stepped into my tactical game plan and just used the first step. The first step being gathering information and using some form of the question, what do you mean by that? I'm trying to understand their view. And all by itself, just that one step got her thinking, and it was something that God used. Now, this is what I've learned over and over and over again, not just myself, like in that illustration, but people have told me themselves that just by using the first two steps, which are two different kinds of questions. I just gave you the first one. Second is a different question, but we'll get to that. But just using those two questions and not preaching and not offering our viewpoint, or not uh, trying to argue with somebody, that alone got people thinking. And let me just offer a little thought here, Jonathan. I know I'm talking a lot here, but...
1: No, this is good stuff. A,
0: okay, thank you. This, <laughs> keep talking, right? Um, there's um, People will not usually let go of one view unless the new view sounds better than the old view. And the old view, usually there's some critique of the old view that's given. Now, notice, I haven't started preaching the gospel yet. In fact, I didn't preach the gospel at all. I didn't say anything about Jesus or, or any of that stuff. That's because I was gardening, and this was hard soil. This was a garden that was committed to an entirely different crop. Okay, so I'm going in there first asking questions to understand her view, hoping that now she's going to start wondering whether her view is that good or not. And if you get people to question their own false view, that makes them open to the new true view, Christianity and the Gospel. And in fact, atheists do this to Christians all the time. I'm sure you know who Peter Bogosian is, the atheist who does what's called street epistemology, and he trains atheists to create other atheists, but he tells them, do not argue for atheism. He says, rather ask them questions to get them to doubt their own convictions. That's what he teaches. And it's the exact same idea here. So he's got the wrong idea, atheism, but he's got the right tactical maneuver. It's the same thing we're suggesting here. And so that first step, just asking the question, what do you mean by that? allows the Christian to get lots more information about what a person's view actually is. And it can often cause the other person to wonder what exactly do they believe, instead of just repeating a non-Christian slogan. And this can be very powerful, Jonathan.
1: Absolutely. And just, just an, something to highlight there as well, you know, it's really important, you know, I love how the earlier advice you gave was just kind of stay in the moment, stay with the next thing, like what, what you're in doing right now, because one of these things that this question is so powerful is it actually helps us understand the people we're talking to, and helps us love our neighbor well, and the, really one of the first steps of that is understanding. And so without trying right. to get it to right. the point of arguing or convincing or any of those things yet, and there's times for those things, and there's times for sharing the gospel, there's all the times for those kind of things, but Sometimes we just skip that very important humanizing, let me understand you now, and your view.
0: We start at the end of the conversation instead of the beginning. The Gospel is the solution. The solution to what? The solution to their questions, their ideas, and their predicament. But you've you got to get a clearer idea of what that person understands his ideas or predicament to be before the solution is very meaningful. And incidentally, going back to the football illustration, you notice how when they show the pictures on the sideline after a play, you see the coaches are covering their mouth. And they're doing that, you know, because somebody could be reading their lips and passing on information to the other side. If the defense knows what the offense is going to do, the defense can block the offense. There's a certain sense of something like this going on in conversation. We're at that moment on the defense, So what we're doing is we're talking the offense, and we're going to ask the offense, what are you going to do? (laughs) And they tell us. You know why they tell us? Because we ask a question in a friendly environment. And then they tell us everything they think they know. They tell us their view, and on and on they go. But because we've asked them to be more clear about their view, they are forced to be more careful about articulating what they think. And frankly, Jonathan, in most circumstances, non-believers have not thought about what they believe. They have a knee-jerk reaction uh, in their beliefs. They're mostly feelings. They say things they hear everybody else saying, like, the Bible's been changed, or, you know, uh, science disproves God, or something like that. But when you ask them exactly how does science disprove God, now that's a, what do you mean by that question? Notice that silence right there? Silence is not good. Dead air is not good on radio, you know, or podcast. But that's what you get in a conversation. Mm -hmm. Exactly how does science disprove God? They never thought about it. They don't know how science... They just heard other people say that. And it stopped the Christian in their tracks. And so now they're saying it, but they never thought about it. Our goal here, just like you were referring to a moment ago, Jonathan, is to try to understand their perspective, understand their view gather information. Let them talk. The more they talk, the more information we're going to get and the more we have to work with. Now, that doesn't mean we let them preach, 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 preach without saying anything. In that case, the non-Christian is in the driver's seat. We are in the driver's seat when we ask the questions that direct the conversation. So we ask a question, what do you mean by that? And then they might give a little bit of an answer. It's probably going to have some ambiguities. And so then we ask, well, I'm, okay, I'm a little unclear about this thing here. How does that work exactly? Help me out. And then we ask some more and some more. And so notice how it's a dialogue, not a monologue from the other side. But my side is the smaller side, but the most powerful side, because I'm the one directing conversations the conversation with the questions. By the way, this is exactly what's going on right now with this conversation, Jonathan. I'm doing all the heavy lifting here. <laughs> I'm doing all the talking. But who's in control of this interview? You are. You're in control because of the questions that you asked. You're in the driver's seat. And then you sit back and let, <laughs> let me blather on. And if there's an ambiguity or whatever, then you jump in with another question. It is exactly the same kind of thing.
1: No, that that's really helpful. So that first question, that Columbo tactic, is what do you mean by that? So what's what's the Yeah, second or some question? variation. Yeah, or some well, variation. Once, Can of help me understand yeah, that, give me more information.
0: Right. Okay, so the second step of the game plan is another question. Notice with the first question, you you hopefully learn what a person thinks or believes. Okay, but you've got another step now. It's not our turn to jump in and say, well, here's what I believe, and you're wrong and I'm right. No, we have another step. We have another question that we want to ask because we need more information from them. Now we know what they believe. The next step is to find out why they believe it's true. All right? And I call this reversing the burden of proof. The burden of proof is the responsibility someone has in a conversation for giving reasons for a point of view. And who is it that has that burden? And here's the rule. The person who makes the claim bears the burden of proof. The person who makes the claim bears the burden. So this idea here that I'm suggesting, uh, this second step of the game plan, what it helps the Christian to avoid is, is taking on the responsibility of disproving somebody else's view. And this happens a lot. People say, well, here's, here's my view, and they give it out. And then the Christian feels like, oh, now it's my responsibility to disprove them. Okay? And, and that's the wrong step. We've given that person a free ride if we do that. They've got some explaining to do. They can't just tell a story. And so my second step... Is to ask them this question. Now, how did you come to that conclusion, or what are your reasons for believing that? I'll give you an example. I had a uh, an interview yesterday with uh, on the K Wave. It's the uh, Calvary Chapel station. Okay, for an hour, and a mutual friend of yours and mine, Bobby Bobby Conway, was a part of that mix, and so I. Uh, Bobby raises the question that was raised by somebody, you know, why will you believe in God when there's no scientific evidence for it? Okay? And so what I what I asked him in the role play is I said, Bobby, what do you mean? What's the problem here? Okay, so what do you mean by that? Well, what's the problem here? And he said, well, look, at you. it's not legitimate to believe in anything unless you have scientific evidence. And if you don't have scientific evidence for God, then it's not legitimate to believe in God. Okay, so now what did he do? He expanded more, so it was more clear. Okay, so then I asked, Bobby, why would you believe that you can't know anything unless science teaches it? Okay, now that's the second question. Now Some may be listening and thinking, well, that was a hard question. You know, why would you believe in God if there's no scientific evidence? I don't know how I'd answer that. I don't have to answer it, not yet. There's a problem with that way of thinking, but I don't have to answer it yet. First, I buy some time for myself and get more information by saying exactly what are you getting at here. That's what do you mean by that. Then after they explain it, well, it's not my job to accept what they just said, that I can't know anything unless science proves it. It is their job to establish and defend that idea. And so I just ask, well, why would you think that? Well, science gives us lots of information. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's how we know things. I said... Do you know what you had for dinner last night? Of course I do. you know that by science? Did somebody pump your stomach? Well, no, of course not. <laughs> I was there when I ate dinner. Oh, so you do know something right now that you know from another way of knowing than science. Okay, now that, what I just did there, notice that there are questions. That's the third use of Colombo, <laughs> and that is you use questions to make a point. But I was only going to the third use of Colombo because I knew the problem. I knew the answer to the problem that was in the challenge that was offered. And I had already gone through my first two steps. And when I got, went through my first two steps, then the other person was able, Bobby in this case, in the role play, to lay it out much more clearly. And when it's laid out much more clearly, it's easier to see the flaw. It's easier to point out, oh, wait a minute. If you can't know anything apart from science, how can you know what you had for dinner last night? How can you know what you're thinking right now? How can you know that rape is wrong? Unless science tell to... by the way, you can't even know science by the scientific method. You have to know other things before science can even start working. By the way, this illustration, this idea about science being the only way of knowing, that's in the book. I use that as an example of a wrong way of thinking and how to maneuver in that kind of challenge with your Columbo questions. And there are many, 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 many more examples of things like this where I give the steps. First step, gather information. What do you mean by that? Second step, reverse the burden of proof. How did you come to that conclusion? Third step, make a point, but use questions to make the point. Expose the flaw, but use questions to expose the flaw. Then I teach in other tactics how to... How to find the flaw, and in this case, I use the suicide tactic because the view turns out to be self refuting, but I always was using questions to make my point. And really, it's as easy as that, Jonathan, as you know. It, 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 sometimes we overcomplicate these things, but there's so much we could do even if we don't have a deep education in apologetics. We can require of other people to make their own case. And I promise you 90% of the people that your listeners are going to talk to will not be able to do that. They get befuddled even on trying to explain their own view, much less the reasons in favor of it. And once that happens, that plants a seed of doubt in their own minds about the legitimacy of their own view. And that's what I'm after in a situation like that.
1: And that's so helpful. And again, one of the things I love about this is what it does is it allows us as Christians not to be defensive or anxious in that conversation as we right. kind of just help them Come to self discovery about stuff that really matters, and then go. Hmm, yeah, that's a great point. That actually doesn't make sense when I say it out loud, <laughs> right? Or mm-hmm. or things like that. I mean, I'm just as another point of illustration. You know, when we train our students to use these questions and spiritual conversations, we have say in, in Salt Lake City with our with our Mormon friends, where sure. our Mormon friends, you know, they use a lot of the same words, right? Grace, eternal yeah. life, Jesus, Trinity, or God, or whatever but what they yeah. found is our students would when they would just simply use those questions, well tell me what do you mean by god? is god eternal? is there only one god? well you know and they would learn so much just through that process and yeah. really it's an education in of itself just that learning process and then they could figure out okay, how do I take that conversation further and then they can do their own study on their own time, right?
0: Sure. It's, it's just like anything else. There's a learning curve, but this learning curve is not a what they call a steep curve. You know, it's not a steep curve. It's easy. It's really easy. I'll tell you who it's going to be hard for, though, Jonathan. It's going to be hard for people like you and me. People who know a lot of things and like to talk about it, and especially me. I think I'm probably more uh, of a loose cannon than you are. You're an even tempered <laughs> kind of guy. But I like to get in there and I like to scrap, you know, oh, you're wrong, I'm right, kind of thing. And so I, even after all these years, I have to keep reminding myself to slow down and start asking questions. Don't jump in with all the things I've learned. That can be a liability because you want to tell people everything you know. So, in a certain sense, people with less education and less experience in engaging in apologetics will actually be able to employ this game plan more, more easily, and more effectively.
1: Yeah, that, that's really helpful. And then, honestly, then they can just move to really becoming fluent in, in asking those questions. And then that just becomes right. a habit, and, you know, and they that's get right. into those conversations. You know, well, my guest today, I'm having a conversation with Greg Kokel. The book we're talking about is Tactics, A Game Plan for Discussing Your Christian Convictions. I think every Christian ought to buy this book. I do not say that about every book. This is an amazing book. <laughs> Amazing book. I promise you'll benefit from it. You know but just a
0: reminder, it's the tenth anniversary edition, so if they go to Amazon to get it, both editions are available. It's the 10th anniversary one they want. It's got a big red oval right at the top of the cover that says 10th anniversary edition in it. So that's the one they want.
1: Yeah, grab the new ones. Got even more stuff in there, more information completely updated and rewritten and all sorts of new tactics added. So let's just talk about some. So I'm going to read some of these, and then I'm going to ask you about one of my favorites, if you can just kind of unpack that one. You know, there's, there's okay. the suicide sure. tactic. There's you know, sibling rivalry, there's steamroller, road scholar, just the facts, ma'am, more sweat, less blood. But one of my favorites is the taking the roof off tactic. Yeah. Could you kind of talk about what that is and maybe why it's important and helpful and and then maybe illustrate it in a conversation you've had?
0: Yeah. Um, Taking the roof off is a phrase that I actually got from Francis Schaeffer, and he was he went to be with the Lord in the 80s, but his writings really influenced me a lot, and so you can see the impact of Schaeffer's work if you're familiar with his teaching in a lot of the things that I write. But basically his view was that human beings are made in the image of God, as a matter of fact, and they have to live in the world that God made. And so consequently, if you are believing a view contrary to Christianity, then you are somehow out of touch with reality. Now, reality is the kind of thing that has a way of getting your attention when you don't take it seriously, okay? (laughs) And so um, the taking the roof off tactic is a way of helping people to see that their point of view is going to lead them over a cliff if they follow it out consistently, okay? Okay? So let me see if I can think of a quick example. What you do, by the way, in this tactic is you take the other person's point of view seriously for the sake of argument. You say, okay, let's just say you're right about what you said, okay? Let's just say you're right about anything's okay to do as long as you're not hurting anybody. a very common ethical viewpoint called the minimalist ethic, okay? I'm not hurting anybody, so that's okay. I say, okay, let's just say that you're right about that. That means, then, if a doctor sexually abuses a woman while she's under sedation, then it wouldn't be wrong because he's not hurting her. She doesn't feel a thing. She doesn't even know about it. Okay, what did I do? I took their view seriously, and then I, 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 I came up with an example of applying their view in a consistent way. I didn't misrepresent it. But in an example that I think clearly shows that the action is immoral. And therefore, boy, if this leads you here to this ridiculous end, there must be something wrong with where you started. And so, as Schaefer would do, we take the roof off and we let the cold wind blow, you know. They think they're safe inside their little ideas here, and we're going to show them where their ideas actually are. Lead. And uh, there are lots and lots of different circumstances like that. In the illustration I gave earlier, the person says, You can't know anything unless science proves it. Okay. Well, maybe you're right. But are you married? Yeah. Does your wife love you? Yes, of course she does. How do you know that? Is there a scientific test for love? Did you hook her up to a machine and look at some brain wave or something to determine you? Oh no okay so if science is the only way to know something then you can't know that your wife loves you in fact you can't even know that you love your wife do i got that right so now the ball's in their court because now i exposed the flaw i exposed it using the taking the roof off tactic but notice how colombo is all woven in there it's all questions and is that right? Is the final question tosses the ball back in their court, and now they've got to think. Now they've got to figure this out. Did they get it right? You know, I I actually heard Dennis Prager, who is a radio broadcaster, a lot of people are familiar with, use the same tactic just about a half an hour ago, as I was driving into uh, to come back to the house to do this interview, because somebody said if you're against same-sex marriage, then you are hating. You cannot be against same-sex marriage without being a hater of homosexuals. Very extreme statement. But he had asked, can you be against same-sex marriage without hating somebody? He said, no. Everybody who's against same-sex marriage is a hater. And then Dennis asked this. Now, notice he takes the roof off. He says, President Obama, during his first term, was against same-sex marriage. So, do you think that President Obama was hating homosexuals during that time. And there was a long, long, long bit of dead air there, because what had Dennis done? He'd taken this guy's rule, and he plied it to show that, now, this isn't going to work. Now, the guy bit the bullet, and he said, yeah, he was a hater. But, I mean, he was had—you could see everybody knew— that this was a silly way to argue, but it's a great example of taking the roof off.
1: No, that's, that's really helpful because sometimes just helping people see the end result of the ideas that they've maybe even assumed or just picked up through pop culture or Netflix or YouTube or whatever, and they just kind of roll with it. And they're like, wait a second, I guess that doesn't work. Maybe I ought to reevaluate that, you know? And so,
0: I was just going to say, in this Dennis Prager example, I mean, I know Dennis and he's great at this kind of stuff. I learned a lot just listening to him on the radio, but he maneuvered entirely with questions and in a gracious way. And then when the guy said, yeah, the president was hating homosexuals during that first term, President Obama in this case. Dennis said, okay, you're, at least you're consistent. And he moved on. He didn't have to even elucidate anything more. It was so obviously ridiculous what the guy was saying that Dennis didn't have to do any more work. You know, and I heard another talk show host say if somebody who opposes you wants to make a fool out of themselves, get out of the way. <laughs> Let them do it. And of course, Dennis isn't trying to be mean or anything. He's just trying to get to the heart of the matter and clarify things, and it became really clear that the way this person was arguing was really silly.
1: No, that's that's absolutely right, and that's part of that conversation. And sometimes one of the best things we can do in loving people well is helping them come to discover false ideas for themselves, and that way right. they can, oh, and then they might be open to something else or a bigger conversation or even a more important topic or issue about maybe the nature of God or does God love me or who is Jesus? Does he exist? Do I need to be forgiven or whatever those things might be? And yeah, that's why absolutely. these conversations around tactics, and again, I'm talking to Greg Kokel, the brand new book, the 10th anniversary of the book Tactics, which you need to get, there's so many helpful tactics like, for example, the steamroller tactic and here I'm going to have to kind of tease it a little bit you know, if you've ever been in a conversation and somebody just kind of continually runs over you well, what do you do with that? Well, this book's going to equip you with some very practical tools on, okay, in a game plan, how do I engage with someone like that? And when do do I walk away, you know, or or what what that might be? And there's all sorts of really helpful information in this book, Tactics, which I hope you'll take advantage of. But, Greg, I I just want to kind of wrap with this. What do you hope will be the result of Christians who, who read this book? Like, what would you want for them?
0: I see two things that I'd like to see. I think there is a massive number of Christians who are scared of engagement. And by the way, I'm completely sympathetic to that. I get it. They're scared because they don't know what to do, and they think they're going to get trapped. Okay? Got it. They're sitting on the bench. They're not involved at all. And what I would like them to do, because they are given a game plan, and this is the second thing I'd like, I'd like to see them get into play, all right? And they, I will give them a game plan that I guarantee will allow them to get into play, get off the bench, come into this shallow end of the pool, no big deal, no threat, lots of protection. But I also guarantee, and here's the second thing, that they will make a difference. They will make a difference in a way that they have never been able to make a difference before in the way they converse with other people. How do I know this? Because I've had multitudes of people tell me exactly the same thing with the first edition of Tactics. The second edition, the 10th anniversary edition, completely updated and revised and expanded, 50% more material, twice as many Tactics, Better explaining the tactics that I explained in the first book, that's going to make it so much more easy and more effective for them. So those are the two things. Get off the bench because you're courageous, you have a plan, and secondly, really make a difference in a way that's much easier than you ever thought it would be.
1: Absolutely. And I hope if you're listening to this right now, maybe you're driving around town, maybe you're working out, you know, walking around the neighborhood, whatever it might be, I hope you'll order this book, Tactics, by Greg Kokel. I hope you'll begin to ask these questions even before you get the book. Just go into the next conversation, now, preferably not in arguments with your spouse if you're married. Don't, don't use the tactics in that way on what do you mean by well, we look that. At if
0: you ask what do you mean by that, you can ask that first question, what do yes. you mean by that. And That's actually a good marriage principle, drawing the other person out and listening to their view.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just just you don't want to start practicing all the other ones on them on them. Try to win the (laughs) argument. Yeah. So in those conversations you have with maybe with a friend or a neighbor or a family member, you know, well, what do you mean by that? Tell me more about that. Or how do you come to that conclusion? Or why do you think that use those questions? Right this next week and see what the Lord does in opening up some doors of opportunity for you to kind of walk through in that spiritual conversation. And if you want more help in training your students to do this more effectively, we'd love to partner with you here at Impact 360. We have experiences in our summer, Propel and Immersion, one and two week experiences. We're pretty close to wait lists on both of those, but get on those wait lists. If there is one, the spots will open up and we actually go do this. Not only do we learn it, We help your student practice it and go do it, and that's where the ownership happens. We have a nine-month gap year called our Impact 360 Fellows. Even as we speak, our fellows are currently in in Brazil for a month serving cross-culturally and getting into conversations cross-culturally and, you know, thinking kingdom-mindedly. So, again, check out all of these opportunities for us to be an ally and a partner for you in training your students at impact Three Hundred and Sixty. But, Greg, I'm just so appreciative of you, all the work you're doing at Stand to Reason, all of our friends there. But this book, Tactics, is a must-have for all Christians. And just thank you for taking the time to update that book, spend some time with us today, and, and really help mentor all of us kind of from afar with what you've written there.
0: Jonathan, it's always a treat to chat with you, and I'm glad to talk to your group there. I promise them they will not be disappointed with what they learn, and they will be surprised at how effective it turns out to be if they do it. i got a bottom line here on this. If you don't do it, it don't work.
1: (laughs) That's absolutely right. So, again, put these things into practice, and we'll see you on the next podcast. For more information about our
0: on-campus worldview and leadership experiences for students and our accessible online courses like Explore Truth and Explore the Resurrection, visit impact360.org. Impact 360 Institute, know, be,
1: live.